Grab your Bibles and turn to page one. I'll invite uh, Camilla and then Dean to bring us our two Bible readings. Uh, we're starting off with Genesis chapter one, uh, beginning at verse 24. Thanks, Camilla. Starting at verse 24. And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creatures that move along the ground, and wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has a breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. second reading comes from the book of 1 Corinthians. It can be found on page 810 of your Bibles, chapter 7, verse 29 to 35. What I mean, brothers, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they had none, those who mourn as if they did not, those who are happy as if they were not, those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep, those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For this world, in its present form, is passing away. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. 
This is the word of the Lord. We're starting a four-week series on relationships. Uh, you might ask why we're doing that, why we're looking at marriage, uh, sexuality, gender, uh, singleness. Why would you spend four Sunday mornings looking at those kind of topics? I want to suggest that marriage, sexuality, gender, family is, is under attack in our world today. So marriage is under attack. Uh, divorce rates are, are skyrocketing. So in the US today, uh, someone will get married every 13 seconds. And someone gets divorced every 26 seconds. A cohabitation is now by far the norm. People just live together, either leading to marriage or just living together for fun. Uh, the idea of fidelity, the idea of faithfulness in a marriage is just now laughable. Uh, a bestseller from recent years is titled uh, Open Marriage, A New Lifestyle for Couples. Here's what the preface says. I confidently declare that monogamous marriage is obsolete. And I urge my readers to replace archaic, rigid, outmoded, oppressive institutions with one that is free and dynamic, spontaneous and creative. Do you know that polygamy is on the increase again? And of course we are today confronted with the, the need to define what marriage really is. Let's be honest, at some point this year our, our government will make a decision about same-sex marriage. And so for the first time in history, we're forced to define and defend what marriage really is. And I have to say that I feel like there's this sort of, this media tidal wave of, of coercion and very clever manipulation. And society just accepts arguments based on so-called equality or so-called love or so-called acceptance and, and to even dare to question that, even just to dare to say, hang on a minute, what is marriage? And we are labelled homophobic. How did you get there? You get there because marriage is under attack. Families are under attack and what was once the norm of a husband and a wife and some kids... That's no longer the norm. I've just visited my family in the UK. We're just the normal, typical family. There are brothers, sisters, stepsisters, half-stepsisters, step-step half-sisters once removed. There's uh, cohabitation with other kids from different relationships, all in the same group who call themselves brothers and sisters, but there's not actually brothers and sisters biologically. That's my family, and that's just now the norm in our world. There's confusion on what it means to be a father, what it means to be a mother, what it means to be a child even. I am horrified by the number of households that seem to be ruled by the kids. The kids determine what happens in the household, not the parents. Marriage is under attack, family is under attack, sex is under attack. 
to quote Melinda Tankard Rice, we live in a pornified world. We live in a world of promiscuity and pornography. That's just the norm. Now, the average age for someone to see pornography these days is 11. The average age to dabble with sex is 16. And everything from advertising to fashion to pop to media to technology, everything is sexualized. Why did it to use sex to sell a computer? And of course, sex is just very selfish, isn't it? Sex is about me, 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 my pleasure, my needs, my wants, my satisfactions. And the concept that you might choose to be sexually faithful within a marriage, or even choose to be celibate outside a marriage, it's just mocked and ridiculed. Marriage under attack, family under attack, sex under attack, gender is under attack. We live in a world of what I call gender blending. And we've lost all concepts of what it means to be a man or to be a woman. Have you heard of the, the model, Andres Pejek? He's that androgynous model. Uh, so, so he walks the catwalk in the female fashion shows and he walks the catwalk in the male fashion shows. And no one bats an eyelid. Are you not shocked? Like, there's transgender, there's transsexuals, there's sex changes, there's cross-dressing, and nobody bats an eyelid today. When you use the word man today, or when you use the word woman today, uh, in society, all that really means is, what sexual organs have you got? That's how you define men and women, purely anatomically. And to suggest that there is such a thing as masculinity or there is such a thing as femininity, that men and women are different, and the temperature rises even in the church. Marriage and attack, families, gender, sex, and relationships in general. We live in the world of social isolation. People are craving human contact. You may have heard the, the, the sad but true story about the man who went to have his hair cut at the same time every single week. Once a week, the same time, the same place. Why would you do that? Because for this man, that was the one time in the week where he had any physical contact with another human being, touched by another human. How sad is that? Deep isolation, deep loneliness, because social media doesn't help, does it? People spend their entire lives on Facebook and they have a thousand friends on Facebook that they never see. And there's this new trend where you post a comment on Facebook and then you spend the next half hour, hour, two hours longing for people to like it and see how many people like your comment because that makes you feel good and feel popular. It's just not human. That's the world that we live in. Of many areas I want to address over the next few weeks, marriage, family, sex, singleness, homosexuality, gender, to get our thinking right. Why are we doing it? Because from my observation of this church, like every other church, we're either ignorant, we don't know what the Bible says about these topics, or we know what the Bible says about these topics, but we're kind of embarrassed by what the Bible says. And so we just conform to the world. So just so you know where you're heading, next week we'll look at marriage 
what is marriage, how to define marriage, is it a covenant, is it a contract, is it between a man and a woman, can two men be married, can two women be married, is, is marriage the only place to have sexual intimacy? That, that's next week. Uh, the week after, we'll look at singleness. Is there a gift of singleness? What about loneliness? What about temptations? What about dating? Are our standards too high for who we marry? What are the joys of being single? That's week three. Week four, we're looking at sexuality, what the Bible says about same-sex attraction, what the Bible says about same-sex activity, how do we as a church love people, welcome them who are same-sex attracted, and yet still uphold biblical teaching. They're massive topics. And of course, my aim in these sermons is to be biblical. One of our core values is the Bible. We do believe, 2 Timothy 3.16, that all scripture is God-breathed. All scripture is God-breathed and is used for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And so this is the inspired word of God. And this is where you get God's design, God's blueprint for relationships. And our desire as a church is not to, not to sort of stand over the word. It's not to sort of stand in judgment over the scriptures. And we decide, I like that bit, I don't like that bit. Our desire as a church is to sit under the scriptures, to let this be our authority and to grapple with it and do the hard work of submitting to it. And I'm sure I will say things in the next four weeks that you don't like. I can guarantee that. Now, if I say something in the next four weeks that you do not like, can I encourage you to stop and to think, do you not like it because it's not true? Do you not like it because the Bible doesn't say it and I've made some mistake? In which case, please come and tell me. But if you don't like it because the Bible says it, can I urge you to, to go and do some hard work with God, to sit down and to pray that he might change you. So where are we going today? Today we are going to go back to the beginning, to Genesis chapter 1, to what it really means to be a human. Because before you can understand marriage and singleness and sexuality, you've got to understand what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman. Our big question this morning is, what does it mean to be human? And we're in Genesis chapter 1. It's on page 1. Let me read from verse 26. These are so profound. The gods, then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. The word there for man is, is mankind, is humankind. Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, and, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock and over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. There are two surprises in verse 26. The the first surprise is the, the very personal nature, the very personal aspect of, of when God created mankind. Because for the rest of the chapter, for the rest of the creation account, God has says, let there be. Let there be light. Let there be water. Let there be animals. Let there be land. But when it comes to humanity, when it comes to men and women, what does God say? Not let there be, but let us make man. God is so intimately involved in creating us as human beings. Now, the second surprise is the plurality of that word. God says, let 
Not let me, but let us make man in our image. Why does God do that? Why is God us? Why is God our? That's because God's a God of relationships. He is Father, He is Son, He is Holy Spirit. And all three members of the Trinity were involved in the creation. So Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, the Spirit is there. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, the, the Spirit breathes life into the man. Jesus is the author. He is the one who creates this world. The Father is there. All three are there. It's the very simple question, who are you? Who am I? Who are you? You are a man. You are a woman. According to Genesis chapter 1, created in the image of of God, in the likeness of God, to bear his character, to be like God. That's your identity. Your identity is that you are made in the image of God. What does that mean? It means that it means you have a, a, an intellect, you have emotions, you have a conscience, you have the capacity to think and the capacity to live a, a moral life. But, but more than that, it means that you are relational beings. You're made to relate to God. You're made to relate to other people. You're you're made to to rule and to relate to creation. Again, John Stott sums it up really well. To imagine the image of God is about intelligence, the capacity to reason, about conscience, the capacity to recognize moral value. It's about society, the capacity to love and to be loved. And it's about your soul, the capacity to worship, to pray, to live in communion with God. That's what it means to be human, to be made in the image of God. Let me draw some things out of that. If, if we are made in the image of God, it means that you have infinite worth and infinite value. Your worth, your dignity, your significance as a human being is not defined by your human relationship. It's not defined on whether you are married or whether you're single or whether you're widowed or whether you're divorced. Your, your, your worth or your dignity is not found in how many pets you've got. Your, your, your identity, your worth is found that you are a child made in the image of God. That is your identity. And some of us need to hear that because we are constantly looking for our worth we are constantly looking for our, our significance in some kind of human relationship. Uh, you think if you found that perfect friendship that would make you feel needed and feel important, it would give you meaning and significant life. Stop it. Find your identity in God. You're made in His image. You're loved by Him. You're created by Him. It also means equality. Did you notice that in verse 27? God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So both men and women bear the divine image. Both men and women are are equal in value, equal in status, equal in essence, equal in substance, equal in dignity, equal in worth. There is no suggestion that, that either sex is more like God. I need to affirm this because for so many people, they think that the the Christian faith is one of women are inferior, men are superior. There's no hint of inferiority in the Bible. Oh, there was in the ancient world. Plato said that man's bad fate would be reincarnation as a woman. It was Josephus who said that women are inferior to, to men in every way. 
And the Jewish men would pray every morning and thank God that they were not born either a slave, a Gentile, or a woman. Even other religions today say that women are inferior. This is a quote from the Quran, Surah number four on women. Men have authority over women because Allah made the one superior to the other. As for those from whom you fear disobedience, this is to men, admonish them and send them to be a part and then beat them. Direct from the Quran. Of course, the history of women in our Western world is pretty grim reading. It's an excellent book called What's Right with Feminism by Elaine Storkey. She recalls oppression and inequality, and we need to feel the shame of that. Because in walks Jesus Christ, and he's accompanied by women, and he, he talks to the Samaritan woman, he eats with the prostitute. He just affirms the dignity and the respect of women. Because we're both made in the image of God. Of course, equality is not the same. Equality is not about gender, is it? Equality is not a gender issue. So, so every man and every woman and every child is made in the image of God. And, and that will change the way that you relate to people. How dare we? How dare we treat people made in the image of God as inferior to us just because they look different or they have a different education? If you understood that every man, woman and child is made in the image of God, you don't marginalize there's no room for racism or discrimination. Here's what, 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 what one writer said. When human beings are devalued, everything in society goes sour. Women and children are despised instead of honored. The sick are regarded as a nuisance instead of being cared for. The elderly are seen as a burden instead of living in dignity. Ethnic minorities are discriminated against instead of being protected. But when we value every human being, every man, every woman, they're all made in the image of God, there is no room for racism or discrimination because everybody matters. So what we made in the image of God does that we have equal dignity, we have equality, but there are differences, aren't there? So equality is not, doesn't mean they were all identical. So look again at verse 27, male and female, God created them. He made men, he made women. God created maleness and femaleness. God wants men to be men and women to be women. And as soon as I say that, I kind of feel the tension rise in the room. Now, please don't mishear me. I'm not promoting male supremacy as though women were the creator's afterthoughts and therefore inherently inferior. That, that's not true. I'm just saying that men and women are different. And we as a church need to celebrate womanhood and celebrate manhood. It's made clear in Genesis chapter 2. You flick over the page. Genesis 2 verse 7. The Lord God formed the man. The word there is Adam, the male. He formed the male from the dust of the ground. And he breathed into his nostrils, literally the spirit. And Adam became a living being. Down to verse 15. Lord God took Adam and put Adam in the Garden of Eden. And this is the purpose of man, to, to work it and to take care of the garden. That's why we're here. The Lord God commanded Adam, 
you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you mustn't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. And amidst the perfection, there is something that is not good. What is not good? Verse 18. The Lord God says it's not good for the man to be alone. It's not good for Adam to be alone. And so I'll make a helper suitable, literally like but different. That's the word. I'll make a helper like but different for him. And then he parades all the animals in front of Adam and None of them are made in the image of God. And so, verse 20, for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So what does God do in verse 21? God creates woman. She's made from man. And just the very basic creation account shows that that woman is the suitable helper. She she complements the man, not merely supplements him. She She's a companion for the man in a way that the animals are not. And a man and woman together are able to, to procreate. They, they fit together. Uh, so without the woman, God's command to, to procreate and to fill the earth, it's impossible, isn't it? Because do you know that man and man can't procreate? Did you know that? That a man and a man can't procreate? It's pretty clear God did not create... Adam and Eve from the ground at the same time. He made woman to complement man, to fit together with man. And that is important not just for our understanding of, of marriage, but of gender. God did not create an androgynous creature. He didn't create a unisex creature. He created man and he celebrated man and he created woman and he celebrated woman. And we're different. Biologically, we're different. Anatomically, we are different. And dare I say it, socially and psychologically, we are different. The world accepts that. You've got best-selling books like Men Are From Mars, Women From Venus. And we read it and we snigger. Oh, yes, yes. But it's true. Here's what someone said. If any human society is to survive... It must have a pattern of social life that comes to terms with the differences between the sexes. Because we're both made in the image of God, equal dignity, equal worth, we've got to respect each other, love each other, never despise each other. But because we are made to complement each other, let's recognize the differences and not try and usurp or blend them together. I'll go into this into more detail next week, but all I'm saying is, look, if you're a woman here this morning, celebrate womanhood. If you're a man here this morning, celebrate manhood. I do pray that the generation that we are raising knows what it means to be a man and needs to, means, means to be a woman, and it's not embarrassed by that. If you're made in the image of God, you have worth, equality, we're different, and we are relational. We are a relational being. It is not good, verse 18, for a man to be alone. It's not good for social isolation. We are made to be in relationships, in friendships, in families, in marriages, in communities. I love Proverbs chapter 17, verse 17. It says this, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. We need friendships. We need families. We need people to do life with. 
That, that fundamental need for a human relationship, it will never be met with, with fluffy or with your goldfish or with your rabbit or your dog. It won't. But it will be met by other human beings. And I'm not just talking about marriage. Here's what Karl Barth said. The man who, because he is without any other fellow man, has not become human. He hasn't discovered the relationship between the I and the thou, and therefore he has not become a real I. We're meant to be in relationships. Now for some here, that would be really hard to hear because you desperately long for relationships, just a, a friendship, just a companion, just someone to do life with. And maybe that's where the church has failed, you know. Because church should be the one place where you can have companionship and platonic friendship and people just to do life with you. But I am concerned about this trend to try and just do life alone. Living alone. The picture of the 30-year-old man living alone with his Nintendo Wii on his Facebook 20 hours a day. It is subhuman. You're made in the image of God. It's dignity, equality, difference, relational. But let me finish by talking about our purpose. Why did God make us? What's your purpose of being here? Is your purpose, is your goal in life to be married? Is your purpose, your goal in life to find a partner, to stay married, to have kids, to have more kids, to be happy while you're here? I think the answer comes from a beautiful verse that was read for us from 1 Corinthians chapter 7. It's on page 810. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. He reminds us that this world is passing away. This is not home. We're heading for home. So, why are we here? Well, verse 32, if you're unmarried, you can please the Lord. If you're married, verse 33, you've got this divided focus. You're trying to please your wife and please the Lord. But whether we're married or single, verse 35, this is the key verse. You may live in a right way. What's the right way to live as a human being? In undivided devotion to the Lord. That's why you're here. Whether you're single, married, divorced, widowed, same-sex attracted, introverted, extroverted, your purpose of existence is to live in devotion to your Lord. And that will change your attitude towards your relationships. Let me ask you, why did God make marriage? Why did God create marriage? Is it just for companionship? Is it just for children? Where was Adam when he was made? He was made a place in the garden. What, what was Adam told to do? To, to work the land and to take care of the land. What was the problem? There was no suitable helper, not, not just to have sex with, but to, to work the land with, to do God's work with. And so God created a woman and created marriage so together they may serve the Lord. Now that will change your view of marriage, friends, because if your view of marriage is, is to find the person that you can be happiest with and you can have the most fun with and have the best sex life with and have the most companionship with, that's not the purpose of marriage. The purpose of marriage is to find someone to do life together so you can serve life together and be devoted to the Lord together. Let me say there's lots of very, very, very lonely people in marriage. Marriage is not the answer to loneliness. But whether you're single or married, your purpose in life is to use your humanity, to use your personhood, 
to be devoted to the Lord. Why do you do that? Because our aim in life is to reach that last day, and who are we going to meet? The Lord Jesus Christ. Who was Jesus? We've read in Colossians chapter 1, he is the image of the invisible God. He is the perfect man, the only man who perfectly images God. And I want to be like him. And I hope you do too. And so whatever relationship you are in, whether you're married or single, widow or divorced, I just pray that you would use your humanity to become more and more and more like Jesus.